Hello and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East and if this is your first time joining us, let me first just say welcome. And this is an interview series where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody who's experienced a significant pivot or change in life. I call these changes redirections. I've experienced several of them myself from going from being a civil engineer to playing in the NFL to now doing online YouTube videos uh, full time. And so I think we all go through these changes and I wanted to learn from people who have gone through these changes to see how they did it, hear the stories of how they went through it and made it to the other side in hopes that you and I could both learn from them and be better off for it. So today is a little bit of a different episode. I sit down with Larry Grobel and I reached out to Larry probably a year and a half ago hoping to interview him. I came across his work because he wrote a book called The Art of the Interview. And I was inspired to want to sit down with him and learn from him how to interview people after I had talked with probably five to 10 of my first guests on the show and realized that, hey, interviewing is not as easy as I thought it would be. I thought it was just going to be a conversation and I would be great at it and it proved not to be true. So I wanted to learn from the best and I found Larry's work and I was like, you know what, how cool would it be to to learn interviewing from the author of The Art of the Interview himself. And so uh, Larry was gracious enough to take the time and sit down with me in Los Angeles. And I really enjoyed my conversation with him. He proved to be a very warm, um, welcoming guy. And I could see how he was uh, able to, to glean so much from these amazing uh, Hollywood classic stars that he's talked to like Al Pacino and Barbara Streisand and Marlon Brando and he's interviewed everybody uh, has represented Esquire and Playboy and, and all the, the big magazines um, doing large profiles on celebrities like this and so I personally learned a lot about interviewing from Larry um, I learned what I'm good at, what I need to work on, and it was it was a really, really fun uh, couple hours that we got to spend together. So Larry, thank you for your time. If you guys haven't yet, I would love if you would rate the show and subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening to. Um, it's been so fun to also see your comments and your uh, reviews that you've left me on social media, on Instagram stories and Twitter, and I love seeing those. I will always repost those when I see them. Um, so feel free to reach out to me. If you wanna learn more about Larry and his work, there's links down below. But without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into this one with Larry Grobel. I, I kind of follow the set structure of like, hey, I'm gonna ask you these questions for sure. Right. And every interview starts here and ends here. <laughs> that, and and that. You're, I, I realized that, um, again, you were interviewing people when when not everybody had access to podcast material or right. their own blog they were before they were podcasts. <laughs> and, and so there was like very limited outlets that a very select number of people who could do what you did. And that's yeah. why you interviewed so many of the Hollywood classics legends. Right. Yeah. Um, but I realized that your goal in interviews was really to draw out the true essence of somebody, whether that was, right that a racist, a racist person or a sexist person or someone who doesn't like his son, or you mentioned Halle Berry right. and her relationship the with their first, um, or the oh, father the first and her husband first husband, too. right? Yeah. Right. And the ball and, player, the, the husband. Right. And I, I realized that like, really it's so much more comfortable when you're talking to somebody to try to just like bring out the only positive side of, of them and like to talk about what everybody already knows. And that's, that's something I've struggled with because you do research and it's like, Okay, well, 
this is easy to talk about. I know they're comfortable talking about this, so maybe I just try to do a different tilt on that. But you, no, like, I don't go for that at all. I don't right. go for anything that I, that I already know about a person. If I right. know a person is kind, gentle, great, terrific. I don't need to say, "Hey, you're kind, gentle, great, aren't sure. you?" I will show it in in some parts of the interview and right. with the way they behave. Um, but to me, um, it, if you want to appreciate who Halle Berry is, you really have to understand a lot of the the background sure. about it, the, the the fights that she had and, and her older sister and then the, the father who they had a little Maltese dog and, and the, you know one time the dog is yapping the father got so angry picked up the dog and threw it across the uh, smashing the wall blood she she never forgot that how could you ever forget that right, right. Um, so there are there are things like that James Garner uh, you know Maverick you know in uh, Rockford files mm-hmm. whatever um he told me that when he was a kid when he was 10 years old his father remarried this bitch woman and she um made him dress up in a dress and she called him louise and says go louise go to go get me some bread down at the grocery store and he would walk in the dress and back because you know he did something wrong or whatever and uh one time it went got too far and he attacked her and I don't know if he was 14, 15 at the time. I'm not sure. But he attacked her, and he grabbed her by the neck, knocked her down on the bed, and he was choking her. And his his siblings came, and they, they took him off him. Or, or he said, I would have killed her. I think I would have killed her. Mm. Now, that's an incredible story to me. You know, so, you you know, here's this guy that you've admired, you know, as an actor and, and the way he behaves and all. And this is his background. This is where that, came, you know, that stuff came from. Right. So where does it all come from? Where does creativity come from? Where, you know, where does inspiration wow. come from? You know, why are we here? You know, we got a certain amount of time and, and we want to do the best we can with it. I thought I was going to die when I was 30. I had a dream and the, the dream was very powerful and i had it about three times so one time we're driving down i'm i'm 16 years old i've got my my junior license Mm -hmm. and i'm with my mother visiting her sister and we're going now and we're on northern state parkway and i'm telling my mom mom i'm having this crazy dream where you know um where i crash into an overhead uh you know uh, on on northern state parkway and and uh you know i die you know and so she's oh bite your tongue bite your tongue don't talk like that i said yeah it's happened three times as I'm telling her this, I'm telling it to her, we pass a car that has smashed into the overpass. Oh. And, the, and what was missing in my dream, I was now visualizing the ambulance behind it with the red thing going. And it was shocking. And I, my mother said, don't ever talk about it. I mean, she was just like, that was it. That we don't talk about it. But, I, but in my dream, I was 30, by the way. So that was the whole point. I said, well, I think I got till I'm 30. So I joined the Peace Corps. I wasn't going in the army, you know. I mean, I was going to avoid that. But I spent an extra year there. So I spent three years. I spent one year after that uh, traveling around the world. Uh, I met a Japanese girl, and, and then I, I'm married to her now. But, but you know, it's like um, I knew if, I, if you go back and you start working right away, uh, you know, you get caught in that. And so I, I put off three years in the Peace Corps. I never looked at that as work, you know, but it was pretty amazing experience. Right. I took another year off just traveling because I had saved enough money from the, with the Peace Corps put away to do that. Um, so so th- I, I was able to see the world as much as I could. I, I knew I needed experience. To be a writer, I, need, I needed to 
see things. I needed to go, right. you know, good travel to move things. And I did. And so when I came back, I had the confidence to do stuff. You know, I said, okay, now what? Well, let's write about these things now. And so I went to a newspaper and I convinced them that I could do these things. And that's how that started. And then they asked me, Newsday, uh, when I moved to L.A., um, we figured out a way to get off Long Island, to get off writing about Long Island events. How? Let's do, we want to do interviews with household names. So I said, uh, who you got in mind? And they said, Mae West. I said, she's still alive? <laughs> I had no idea. So um, they said, well, they said, well, I said, where do I find it? He says, how do we know? You're the one in Hollywood because right. I had moved. So, okay, so then I called, I looked up Mae West, I found out Paramount Pictures, she worked for, I called Paramount, they put me in touch with a publicist, she was still alive, she lived on, you know, Rossmore, and, 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 uh, and she had just made a movie, <laughs> my, my record or something. So, anyway, so I went and saw Mae West, and right. that was how it started. I, I mean, I interviewed her, you know, she was quite a character, and um, she wouldn't let me tape record her, that was, you know, yeah, I mean, I support, you know. Too many people made money off her her voice. So if they ever did an interview with her, they put it out as a record. She had that, wow. you know, why don't you come up and see me sometime voice, you know. So, um, uh, <laughs> sometime. Yeah, so, 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 okay, so after this thing comes, the, the photographer took a picture of Mae West by the piano with a, with a bust of her, a naked bust, uh, all in white, behind her. And... Uh, so I send in the interview to the editor and Newsday, and and he and he calls me back a few days later. If he gets, a, he says, Larry, he says, listen, listen. Whenever you do these interviews, he says, who's that name of the? What's the name of the photographer? I said, Rick Meyer. Use him. That was a great photograph. Use him. And I went, Stan. I said, what about my interview? What do you think? Oh, it's fine. It's fine. But just use. Remember to use him. So <laughs> yeah. I got the. I got it right away. How important visuals are compared <laughs> to, right. to the you know words, but. Um, you know, after that, I said, can I do any household name? And they said, who you have in mind? And I said, how about Linus Pauling? And I said, okay. How about J.P. Donlevy as a writer I liked, you know? And uh, how about Henry Moore, the artist? He's living in England. So they said yes to all these things. And so I was then out doing, you know, I would go up to see uh, Linus Pauling in Palo Alto. I would go to uh, to Forte de Marme in, 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 in uh, south of France, where Henry Moore had his summer home, and he was outside, you know, and I'd go to do that. Or I would go, um, uh, who else was I saying that I first started doing? Um, well, I did Ray Bradbury, but that would just as his house. Um, J.P. Dunleavy, so he was up in, he wrote The Ginger Man, a book I really loved. So I was getting to meet people that I admired, mm -hmm. or if it was writers, writers that I loved, I've done Capote, I've done Norman Mail, I've done Saul Bellow, I've Joyce Carol Oates, Elmore Leonard. You know, I've I've done a lot of writers like that because I like to talk to them, you know. It's a wonderful profession in that way. It's a shame that it's you know, it's not doesn't exist anymore. It's like, you know, now podcasts and whatever. You do, you only have an hour. I feel like I've screwed you completely because you'll we'll probably talk for three hours though, and you can then take the hour you need. <laughs> no, that's and I and I want this to go longer because I feel like there's so much value to what you have saying. You have so many wonderful stories. I have a lot of stories. Um and I also have a lot of ideas about interviews, and a lot of them aren't correct. The, I, I, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I get people who who argue with me about uh, uh, you know how to edit an interview? How to you know? Uh, right. Some people just put a verbatim interview in there, and I said that's impossible. 
unless you talk to them for five minutes, which is what those are. <laughs> you know, they, you know, I if I talk to you for well, Al Pacino, for instance, one of the things I did when I I saw him many times uh, for the Playboy interview, the first one, I did him enough to do a book on on him, but but um, I. <laughs> He had never talked before. He was truly a virgin when it came to doing interviews. He was very nervous about it. And so, uh, but he, he allowed me to just keep my tape recorder running. And I would, so we would forget about it. And we'd do all kinds of things in his apartment. We'd take walks. We'd play. I started working out with him when he was making Scarface. I, I did a lot of different things with him. But this, but initially, um, he, he had a, 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 a real resistance to, to being interviewed and to revealing himself about anything. So it really took, it took a lot of um, getting to know you. And once he started warming up to it, he got into it. And when we finished, I said, okay, I've got enough. He says, what, he says, you're gonna leave me now? It was one of those things, says, you know, he says, it's like psychiatry. He says, you know, no, nah, I'm not ready. So, uh, but we, so we, uh, we kept talking afterwards, you know, but I said, wait, wait until the article comes out and then see if you still wanna talk to me. Because a lot of times people don't like what I, I put out. You know, it depends on how you see yourself. Why, yeah, well, yeah, why do you think that is? What is, your goal is not to have them not like themselves in the article, right? You uh, I don't care which way they think. I, my goal is to present who they are to a reading public. Why are you reading this? Well, because I'm, I'm curious about this character. If this character's got a facade and, it's just, and you're reading the facade, you haven't gotten anything out of it. You got no truth. But if you read, oh, this is interesting about this person. I, oh, I never knew Elizabeth Shue's brother died. Uh, you know, from swinging on a branch right. you know, over a pool. And how did that affect her? Well, that's suddenly something, you know, you may want to go read a little bit more. You, you know, do you want to just hear that Miles Davis likes jazz or that he considers, uh, he associates jazz with the word uh, N-I-G-G-E-R? Right. I can't even say it anymore. But he says it. He says, that, that's, that's what I see. Why? That's to me, you know, my, my I got, what? Miles said that, you know, I want to know more about that. You know, that's what I, my goal is really to, it's kind of ed, to educate, it's, but it's, it's to, an artist creates a picture. When I, when Picasso drew Gertrude Stein and she looked at it, she said, it doesn't look like me. And he said, yes, but it will. And he was right. That's the most famous picture of Gertrude Stein. Is the mm. Picasso. I mean, is there something about, you, you know, portraying someone? And I see word portraits. I see the interview mm. uh, as an art as a word portrait. It's a portrait of, of, a, of a person, in depth, as in-depth as you can make it. Are you a good painter? Can, Rembrandt's you know, greatness was in the depth of the eyes that he was able to do. And it's just, look, if you look closely at a Rembrandt, and you can get close to them in a museum, you'll see little, just little gold dots. And yet it gives impression of depth. Yeah. And if you look at the, his own self-portraits, you look at the eyes, they get older over the years. Mm. Very interesting, man. I mean, not, not many artists see, you know, can see all that. Henry Moore told me about that. He says, when I asked him, he was looking at a book of artists, and I said to him, um, you know, who, who, who are some of the great artists? There's only, he says, you can tell a great artist, you know, by his drawings. And there are only about, I said, how many great artists have there been? He says, only about 10. And he would, you know, Michelangelo and Leonardo, and he included himself in it. I loved it. <laughs> I always liked to see those to. things. Got to. Anyway, it is 
it's so interesting because there's a lot of levels of trust involved one as the subject there needs to be a layer of trust where i'm revealing to you everything the miles davis story uh that was one of my that that was one of the most alarming stories to me that he told at the very end you mentioned like choking somebody out um and then there's a layer of trust that you as the writer you as the interviewer are really self-introspective and honest with yourself and like hey am i approaching this uh subject with any bias and is that going to show through in in the writing right because that's i mean it's it's such a big responsibility no i i don't even think of it I, I, to be honest with you, I don't think about myself uh, being biased or this or that. I'm just, I'm trying to create a character that I've just been with. In other words, I don't want to distort you. I ha- when I was talking about with the Pacino thing is I got, when I would go into a classroom, I had 2,000 pages of this interview, 2,000 pages. I would show it to my students it was at UCLA, right? I would put them down. i say, that's one interview. How does that become this? And I would hold up the magazine where right. you have your how many pages are in? And then I, that was what my first lecture would be, is that it becomes this because this has to be edited. So I have to read through everything. But you're dealing with a lot of material. And because you are, you better learn how to deal with this. And I had nobody teaching me this. I had to learn myself this. And I thought this is something I could teach people and save you a lot of time. But, you know, how do you index? And so, you know, you, you work it. So, okay, this is stuff about mother, pilot, childhood. This is stuff about a certain movie, whatever. You know, when I did the John Huston book, that was hundreds and hundreds of interviews with very big people, and I had so much material. How do you deal with all that stuff? Well, you got to start put, getting those file folders together on that, you know, but you got to put things together. You have to organize as best you can. It's, it's, it's quite, quite a process. So with to Pacino, I would, I'd get it down to uh, a lot of repetition, of course, in, in things you do, so you don't need it. But sometimes he'll talk to, uh, about his mother on pages 2, pages 45, page 97, right. 200, and, and 650. So I would take those pages, and you know, once I knew I had them in the index, if I, if, I, if I have him mention his mother, I said, oh, there's the place, mother, I'll get some of that stuff in, and then work it around, and then make it look like it's a one flowing conversation. Where in reality it was over months, right. uh, you know, Streisand nine months, you know, Brando ten days on his island every day. Well, you know, I, I, I'm condensing it and I'm editing it. Right. But I have never had anybody say to me uh, negatively about it. They always thank me for it. Brando wrote me a note complaining about the fact that he t- that I put in things other than the Indians. He was angry about that. But he says on the other hand. Now that I see, look at, think about it, you made me far more articulate mm. and 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 uh, intelligent than I remember being. He said, yeah. you know, I actually wrote that, um, but but most of them will see that, you know, and usually how they see it is after someone else reads it and talks to them about it, and they'll say, man, that was amazing that you did that, or that you went that far, or that you did it, and then he they get a feedback because people who read about themselves, I find it's. Um, you never see yourself that way. You always see yourself a little differently. People have done interviews with me will sometimes put in my mouth words that I have never said. You know, I mean, the words that I, that are a little jarring to me. So I see that mm, even if they taped it, they didn't quite, you know, get it right. I don't correct it. I don't, you know, I mean, it's, it's petty in a way, but I notice it. And I notice that I want to be as accurate as I can, even though I am manipulating 
uh, you know, conversations that took place on different days, and I'm putting together, making a paragraph out of it. Um, it makes it for a good read. That's why those. Uh, that's why I was doing it all the time because they read well. Right. Is um. You mentioned Rembrandt drawing himself, and it evolves over time, and it made me think when you interview Al Pacino at a certain time, he's he's who he is at that certain instant. Right. Was your goal to show who that Al Pacino? X year was at that moment yeah. in time or like more of this is how he became who that who he was it was it's both though it's both because and you see to me what was fascinating about that book this is a collection of interviews i did in with premier magazine movie line magazine hollywood life uh playboy a few times rolling stone a german magazine and one or two others mm -hmm. so there was about eight or ten interviews I had done over the years with him. Right. And I never thought I was going to put those out. I thought I was going to be writing his book, you know, right. his bio. Um, but when my daughter once said, Dad, you know, he's never going to do his book. <laughs> and she's right. You know, he's never, you know, he's not, because you know, we've known him from, my kids know him all his life, you know, right. so it's not like they're just being sarcastic. They know uh, who he is, you know. And the, uh, so, so I said, yeah, you're right. And, I, and I'm not one to push anybody. I don't, you know, you want to do it i'm around or something so um i i decided i'll put together this book of, but then i asked him i said oh would you mind i said if i made it collected it uh yeah well i all right you think so i said well i think you might all right all right go ahead do it then i said how about if i put them together and i said to him how about writing an introduction for it he doesn't do that doesn't ever do that and i know that because i see him or before he says uh, you know, I don't know. I said, I'll, I'll write it. I'll write it for you and I'll give it to you. So I wrote something, you know, and I said, oh, yeah, I gave it to him. And it spurred him on to do it because he said, no, I don't want to say this. <laughs> and I like that. I, I, and he actually wrote the, that introduction that's in the book is actually by him. And I was taken by it because, you know, he was perceptive in certain things, but he gave a stamp of approval to the book by doing that, you know, right. and there's nothing, and, and there are a lot of things in that book that are a little hard. And what, to get to your question was, you know, somewhere in the middle of the book, he may be talking about, he may be feeling something negative about himself or the, or the times or, you know, uh, he, one of the, the actors who died um, uh, when he was doing American Buffalo, that was a downtime for him, you know, right. and I was there for Rolling Stone, actually, to talk about that stuff. Um, well, that's different than when he's really up, when he just won the Academy Award for Scent of a right. or something. I wrote that speech, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, so my idea is when looking at it over the years is, yeah, he's talking about Michael Corleone in the first interview. And he's talking about it in the third and in the sixth. But he's talking about it differently. I would have done it this, he says something later on that he didn't think about before. So you see his own evolving thinking about the characters he's played because over the years he's changing too. And uh, so it's kind of interesting to, to see that. Have you ever done interviews with someone at one point and then it's drastically different? Like I'm thinking, you know, we, we know a couple child stars where like, you know, they came from a solid family. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's, whoa, yeah. it's so much different. Yeah. Have you? You've I, I, I'll tell you. I would say almost everybody yeah. is is mm. di it, it, at least put it this way. My perception of the person going in when I first started doing it, it was never like that when I was with them. 
you know, the event was always different. Barbara Walters, you'd think you'd go and just talk with Barbara Walters. No, she had to have her publicist sitting right there. And when I asked her about a facelift question or whatever, the publicist comes in and shouts out, bah, 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 that's off the record, you can't say that. I said, well, I can say that. <laughs> well, I can say what you just said. And Barbara says, just be sure to note that I haven't said anything. You know, I mean, it was like all this catty shit, right, you know. Right, right. But it was like interesting to see that, you know. But the people are different. Right. And the people who are the same... I mean, what surprised me with Al was it was the opposite of who I thought he might be from having seen The Godfather and having seen, uh, you know, Serpico. Uh, he was a very shy, quiet guy with a very good sense of humor and, um, and lived, lived poorer than I did, right? Uh, he was on Fifth Avenue, you know, I, uh, and uh, 84th Street. It was Candace Bergen's old apartment. Only he, it still said Candace Bergen in it. He'd never even changed the name of it. And, you know, but he, has, he had a couch that had uh, a hole in it. He had a, a, a wicker chair that, you know, when I sat down, I put a hole in it. You know, it was like, <laughs> he had some yogurt on the, on the, on the couch uh, armchair uh, that, that had molded. It was, it was old, you know, it hadn't been thrown away or anything. So I'm looking around his place in this small apartment. And I'm thinking, wow, you live like, I said, you know, and yeah, he had another house that was out in the Sneed's Landing and all that stuff. But this, you know, this is where he basically stayed. So for some reason, I just said, I know this guy. I know this guy. We, he goes to make me a cup of coffee and, and the dish rig catches fire on the thing. And the, so I'm, I'm in the little, little kitchen with him. And all of a sudden, he's, he's waving this dish rig that's just on fire oh my <laughs> it's gosh. like and i i mean well, how can you not laugh you know right. the, and then i find these cookies pepperidge farm cookies he goes back into the living room i go so i'm walking out and i see the cookies i said oh, i'll have a cookie right so i i felt comfortable enough let's say mm. some houses i won't do this but i felt it with it. so i i pull down the cookies and i look and there are about 25 cookies in there they all have a bite in them I couldn't believe that, right? No so I didn't. Way. So I put it back up. But that was my next question. I said, I, the tape recorders go. I said, Al, let me ask you this: How come you have all the, a whole box of half-eaten cookies? And he says, What are you talking about? Right? Totally denying it. I said, What are you? I said, No. I said, It's you know, it's there. I says, I don't. I don't. Of course you do. I said, It's right up there. You know, I'll show it to you. That's funny stuff when you see it in print because right. I'm constantly ribbing him, and uh, we made a bet for. $25 or whatever it was. I don't know if it was that one or something else, but it might have been that. And uh, the, that's how I was able to end my interview with having, with having me say to him, you owe me money, which is the line George D. E. Scott says and, uh, to Paul Newman in The Hustler. But, you know, it's, right. it's sort of like, I kind of just see what I do as, uh, as an art form, yes. You know, I mean, I try to, t to manipulate conversation into a place where when you finish reading it, you have a sense of the person you've read. You have a sense of me uh, as the interviewer because I'm not shy. Uh, the, the Playboy interview was interesting because you can't use the word I in the Playboy interview. Interesting. And I think I did it once, and I think they allowed it in uh, the Brando interview. That You couldn't help it. That, the I had to come in that, in that one moment. But, um, but uh, you, what we're talking about are apples and oranges in a certain way. To do a pleasant interview that doesn't go into depth and right. to make a person happy with it in the end uh, is to me, um, you know, it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs with, with the birds 
going around her head or something. It's nice and it's pleasant. And what, you know, but I want to see the witch sometimes. I want to see what happens when the apple gets bitten. I want to, you know, I mean, look, how did I know that when I asked Warren Beatty about money and taxes that that would end the interview? He couldn't, you know what I mean? I, I only learned that with, from him. <laughs> and after that, I never talked to people about their finances until the very end of any interview because that's always a, t a tricky subject, even more so than sex. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I'm on a tangent again. So I'm enjoying it. Um, <laughs> hey, I wanted to stop and follow up about something that we have talked about in the past, and that's the habit-changing platform called Noom. So if you guys don't know, Sean and I have experienced some huge life changes over the past couple weeks, and my health and fitness could have easily slid to the back of my mind, but Noom helped me stay on track and helped me continue to take small steps towards my goal. So if you guys didn't know, getting in shape isn't just about losing weight. It's about learning healthier habits and feeling better about yourself, whether that's having more stamina to keep up with your busy life or finally getting into those goal genes or maybe it's being more in tune with your body's needs. Um, but what if you could use just one program for all your health and weight loss needs? So no more hunting for training apps and workouts or calorie trackers and meal plans. Plus, they have a goal specialist and a community of members to help you keep motivated and stay accountable. It's like a workout bestie all in one place. So me personally, I wanted to lose 10 pounds, but also more importantly, I wanted to have more energy and figure out what I could do in my diet and fitness routines to help me have a higher degree of energy uh, during a time where I knew having a newborn, we weren't gonna be getting a lot of sleep. And so Noom, helped me learn about what I could do in my diet. They do a great job of educating you, but then they also have this awesome accountability infrastructure with a team and small group, along with a coach who's gonna help walk you through and stay accountable. So me personally, uh, there's one point where I didn't use the app for three days and I got a uh, text from my coach, Emily, who reminded me to check in and encouraged me to stay on track. Noom is more than just a diet or weight loss app. They have and take a cognitive behavioral approach whatever, it just works, that's all I know. Noom has taught me that no food is good or bad or off limits. They teach moderation and this platform can be used in conjunction with many pre-existing popular diets if you want to. So it also doesn't take a lot of time, it's usually about 10 minutes a day from my personal experience. And if you guys get off track, there's no shaming, there's just tips to help you get back on track tomorrow. So listen, you don't have time to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial at Noom, that's N-O-O-M dot com slash redirected. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash redirected to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M dot com forward slash redirected. The last weight loss program you'll need. I am, I am more of an extrovert than my wife is. <clears throat> and the reason is because I love when I meet a stranger. To like just say something or ask them something, throw them something right. to see what sticks. Because I think that the differences in any given person that you might bump into are so awesome and yeah. fun and fantastic. And I feel like your interviews really highlight the differences in humanity and how people become who they are, whether it's a, a, a bad father, a bad mother, or. So why don't you want to do that? Well, because it's hard. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's more, it's, it's, I, it's more of a challenge. That's all. I mean, you're doing right. it in a shorter period of time. The thing is I had time, you know, when, when Playboy said to me, 
you want to interview Sophia Loren? I said, How, you know, I said, great. She says, but uh, you can only do it for two hours on Monday, two on Tuesday, two on Wednesday. And then she's leaving back to Italy. Now, normally, I, don't, I never care about what they tell me because I always feel after the second hour, that person's going to know that she'll give me all the time I need or he. Um, right. Because we're having a good conversation. It's just, right. But in this case with Sophia Loren, uh, they, it was it was strict because she had something before that time, so that was it. I, and I said, no, I can't do it. It's not, I don't have enough time. I, I look at that, that, that to me is insane because today nobody gets six hours with anybody. Sure. You know, I mean, I, I, but that was my, that was not even my minimum for a Playboy interview. I, I expected to be there for f 52 hours I have with Barbara Streisand on wow. tape. I was with her for longer, but just wow. the actual taping. Um, Brando, the same thing. You know, it was over 10 days and uh, I didn't, we didn't tape for the first three though. But uh, the next six we did, I left on the day after. Um, so, and you're talking four or five hours a time, you know, until that person gets really tired. Sometimes it's me. I mean, sometimes I have to go to the bathroom so bad. Mae West, she never went to the bathroom and I'm dying to take a pee and I'm talking <laughs> to her, you know, it's just like, and I don't want to say, excuse me, I don't want to interrupt our eye contact, our thing, you know, and yet sometimes, you know, that, that happens. Yeah. Um, so. so you just mentioned eye contact and I have, I have found that like, interviewing somebody it's such an intimate experience yeah. where like i i really feel like it's whenever i do it the hour or the two hours that it takes is my favorite in that entire week because mm -hmm. it's like it's like a different world where i'm just completely enthralled and like trying who is this guy right and do you feel that way like the 10 to a half hour before <laughs> what are you thinking about like are you thinking oh i'm gonna have a really good experience or mm, i hope i do something you know are you concerned are you nervous do you get a little uh, anxiety did anything like playing ball? I mean, with, you know. So I, I do get anxiety and it's in that, have I prepared enough to um, take this interview to the spot that I want it to? Like, have I, do I know this person enough so that, cause I do, I do, it's comfortable to talk about what they always talk about, but I do try to just like kind of skip over that so that we can get to the next level. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question on why don't I show the, the true, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the true pros and cons of every person is because I guess on a personal note too, you know, you have, you have this big New York personality. You're from Brooklyn, yeah. Queens, right? Which is Brooklyn. also, which is also the home of another interviewer you mentioned in the book. Who is it? There was another one in your interview with yourself. Oh, shoot. Brooklyn. Was it Letterman or Leno? I think it was Leno. Might've been. Yeah, um, anyway, I, I have like, when, when, but I, I, see, I grew up, I think everybody was from Brooklyn and moved out. That's, I really <laughs> believe that. I thought the whole country was populated with people from Brooklyn. So when I moved, went to California and, and people saw me as an oddity, I thought that was funny. Right. But okay. New Yorkers have a different personality. They and do. When, when I interview somebody, my goal, and even talk with anybody, my goal is to have them take their guard down mm -hmm. and, and leave it there. Yeah, but that's, you, that's what I try for too. Exactly. In the book, you mentioned you tried to have them lower their guard and then and it's not it's not in a vicious way but you say that's when you ask the sensitive questions yeah yeah right well that's because if they lowered their guard they are now no longer protecting themselves sure. from you and and the whole process okay let's talk let's talk honestly and once you feel that guard is lowered then you can say by the way you know what happened when you stabbed your wife you know I mean, <laughs> right. that, you know, and that's what like, <laughs> those are tough questions well, there. <laughs> 
I mean, you know, look, you think it was easy to talk to Bobby Knight? Bobby Knight punched me twice. Big fan you of know? Bobby Knight. I love those uh, yeah. stories because oh, I'm, I'm from Bobby, Indiana myself. So. Well, but, you know, Bobby Knight is the one interview that I put in the art of the interview as an, as an example. It's the only interview I did. The whole interview is the back of that book, the last thing, because that to me was the structure of a three-act play. I saw, I mean, what happened with me and Knight, that never happened before. I mean, with, with Jesse Ventura, it was a very famous interview, and I was on TV and radio all for, for weeks. Um, I was amazed by that. Um, but, but with Bobby Knight, it was because he had attacked me. You know, it was because it was like he had just been fired you know, from for, for this no zero tolerance policy, and he, some kid said to him, he was a triple, 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 triples, triplicates, triple, triplets, triplets. Thank you for the <laughs> word. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So it was one of them. They said to, hey, hey, Bob, how you doing? He something like that. And he, you either say, hey, coach, or hey, Mister Knight. You don't, or hey, Coach Knight. Oh. You don't say, hey, Bob or right. Bobby. And he uh, apparently grabbed the kid by his neck and he told him that, you don't do this. <laughs> so that was it. Out he goes. Now, the, now Bob Knight could be, a, could, could be the governor of Indiana. I mean, there's no doubt that he's the most popular guy there. And, uh, besides uh, me. Besides you. No, okay. and, 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 but, but, you know, I was in the car with him when we, he, we, we got pulled over for speeding. Cop comes over and says, oh, coach, it's you. And he just walks away. How you doing? I don't think, no ticket. There's no, you know, none of that stuff. Um, but, but he's a wild man and he should be teaching at like West Point. He should be teaching at a military academy because those are the people who are trained to listen to a coach, you know, to, to a sergeant, right? You know, give me, give me 50. You're going to drop down and give 50. I'm not going to give you 50. You right. know, I don't want to, you know, but if your mentality and your direction is that way, well then, you know. That uh, he can be a really hell hell of a coach, but when he was coaching, you know Isaiah Thomas or whatever, he they didn't want to play by his rules necessarily, right. even as as young people. So he was an exceptional coach, there's no doubt about it. But he had this crazy temper where he would pick up kids. He he once took a kid's shit and and held it up, and I mean he did some nasty things. And I knew about all this stuff. And Roy Firestone was a very close friend of mine. Had interviewed him on on camera a few times, so I had his notes, I had his tapes, the the you know outtakes. So I prepared a good deal to talk to him, but they were all tough questions. Right. And, and uh, he, do you want to hear this story? Because this is, a, you know, the, the night story is a little long, so I'm not sure if you well, want to go with ends, it. Well, it ends, how far mind, do you want I'll me just, to go I'll with just, it? Because, I'll just abridge because yeah. it ends with get yeah. out of here and give me those tapes, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, 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 he got so angry when I, I asked him about, um, we were just driving. This was the very beginning. We were going. We were going to drive to Ohio. To uh, his son was going to be coaching or or assistant coaching a game, so he wanted to go see it. I said, "Well, how long does it take to get there?" He's like six hours. <laughs> six hours, he would say. I, I just came, I just met him, you know. And it's just, uh, the next morning, he wants to do this. I said, uh, "Will we stay somewhere?" You know, I'm, I'm, I, I have to make plans. Do I need to take? A toothbrush and underwear do i need uh, right. besides my tape recorder and he goes uh no we'll come back we'll, we'll just see the game and come back so that's 12 hours <laughs> so anyway so that's you know so i said okay well this is where the interview is going to take place and then you have the the sound of the engine you know whatever so i had my, my tape recorder i put it right between us and the console and we're just talking and not 50, 20 minutes into it right? we were speeding along this you know, and, and 
he said, I asked him, uh, how did he feel, you know, with what happened and when the kids said this to you or whatever. And all of a sudden, there's this loud boom like this. And I went, what? And I thought we hit a deer. <laughs> and what happened was Knight hit the steering wheel. And he was so angry for my question. And he and his face tripled in size. And he's a big man. He's 6'5". And, 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 and like, you know, like this. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at him, and he starts screaming at me, you don't know what they did. And, and, and I said, okay, okay, calm down, coach. And, and, he's, and he's, he's just like, uh, he says, he, wanted, he kicked me out. He wanted to kick me out. He says, I'm, I'm going to pull over. You're going to get out. I said, coach, it's okay. Let's just start again, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, so he finally comes down. We miss our exit by three. <laughs> we had a he's got a turn. He says, "I didn't you. I missed my exit." He was so mad, and I'm now so so. The questions I get start asking him are all the easier questions about what do you th how, how should basketball be changed? Because he believes that it should be widen the court or whatever. You know who's the best athlete? Tell me about Ted Williams. You know all this kind of stuff that he. Right. So I got I asked him all these questions on the way up, but on the way back. Uh, there, he was. I I had run out of questions, but the good easy question. I had all the tough ones, and there was another guy in the car, who was uh, uh, Donaher. His name was. He was a coach. Right? He was a scout at the time for a pro team, and he was driving Knight's car. Knight was sitting in the front. I was in the back, and I'm so. And Knight says, "Okay, Larry, ask me some questions." He says. And I said, Coach, I said, I've, I, why don't we save it for tomorrow when we're back? I said, because I, I asked you all the easy questions, and I only have my hard questions left. Go ahead, ask me. Just ask me. Don't worry about it. I'll, if I don't like it, I won't answer. Okay. So I said, what happened when they... When you put the guy in the basket, who, you know, <laughs> when you you walked into the dining so room after a loss and you stuck this guy in the basket, and he, and he says, "Well, what would you have done?" The guy was kind of, you know, he was, he was we had won the game, and he's and he's gone on and on. And I said, "Well, was he inebriated?" He says, "Of course, he wasn't drunk." I said, "Well, then I probably would have said thanks for the talk, and then I'd walk away." Arr! And just that, he got so angry at me telling him what I would have done, you know. And he and he grabbed the tape recorder that was in the front and he threw it at me in the back, and it landed on the seat. And um, and he then then he said, G "Give me give me the tapes, give me your tapes." Now we had been talking all the way up, halfway down, and I went, uh, "I can't do that, coach." And we're driving still. We're driving about 50, 60 miles an hour on this highway. And um, he he leans over. He puts his two knees on the on the seat, right? And he leans over at me. And now he's got that big head again. And uh, he starts, and I, I put my, I took my uh, bag that I keep my, the tapes in, and he, I'm holding them. And he grabs them. And he's, and now we're wrestling. And I'm looking at him. And it's dark, you know, but it's, I can see it. I said, you don't want to do this, coach. You don't want to do this. Because I know this is all what I'm going to write about. You know what I mean? This is insane. But mm. what else can you do? You're not going to write about this? This is what's happening. So so um, I finally I pull it away from him, and I'm looking to jump jump out. I'm actually looking. I open the door and roll, and I'm thinking, we're going too fast right now. But if, if he slows up to about 30, I'm going to try it. <laughs> this is how crazy it was in there. And, um, wow. and anyway, we get... <laughs> 
we get to where this other Donaher's car was. We had picked him up halfway up. So we got three more hours to get back to Bloomington. And, um, and, 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 and I, we had been quiet, you know, because he was seething in the front and I was like protecting my tapes and whatever. And Donaher's going, well, we got, so we get to the other one. He says, well, we have a situation here, Donaher says. And he was 73 years old or something. I felt bad for him. And he says, um, Bob, coach, if you want, I'll I'll drive you home and Larry can drive your car, or I'll drive Larry home and you can drive your car, but I don't think the two of you should be in the same car for the next three hours. And I said, I agree, because <laughs> I thought I was going to get killed. Right. So, and Knight goes, I'll take you back like this. I'll take you back. So, so I get in the back. Oh, no, Donaher says, Larry, get in the back. So, okay, so then Donna says goodbye. We're at a gas station. We finished get with the gas. Donna leaves. Knight sits there, and he goes, I'll take you back, he says, but I'll be goddamn if I'll be your chauffeur. Get in the front. <laughs> so, oh, now, so I get in the front, and I leave my tape and everything in the back. I, this is, I'm not, you know, I just want to get home safely right now. And I look at him and I have I have to diffuse this situation because this is it was really been volatile. I mean, he tried to throw me out twice. He and and I was aching. Later, by the way, I found out that I he almost broke a rib. I had a huge bruise in my. I didn't even feel it then, but uh, I you know I had to see a doctor about this. You know, I said, "Wow, I got punched." I mean, really amazing, right? Because that was what was going on there. He, I mean, he was just swinging wildly. I think to get to my case and it must have hit me. So. I looked at him and, just, and and I just put out my hand. I didn't know I was going to do this, you know. And I said, "Coach, give me your hand." And he looks at me like like it's vermin, you know. I mean, I'm I'm a reporter, a journalist. I'm the worst scum in the world for him. And I said, "Give me your hand." And and I didn't move it. I and and he did. He finally took my hand and and he held it like you know. And I held it tight. And I said, "Listen, I didn't come here to do a job on you." I said, "I." I have been reading about you for, for, and everything has been written about you and you, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm giving you the chance to correct it, to, to correct the record. If you don't want to take it, then just tell me pass and we'll go on to the next subject. But that's my job is to get you to, to correct the, your own record it's to help you. Yeah. And then he said, you don't understand. They ripped my heart out. They took me. He starts confessing about his, you know, how he really feels. It's unbelievable stuff. And all I'm thinking in my head is, God damn, the tape recorders on the other back. And, I, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking, okay, Larry, you have to remember this. You have to, you know, I mean, you put, turn on your memory brain because uh, he is opening up like this. And I think he sees my eyes. We haven't started driving it. And my eyes are darting to the, you know, and he says, all right, you want to get your machines? He says like that. And I said, uh, I don't want you to ruin them. He says, I won't. I said, all right. So I, I left one in the back, but I took one, put a new tape in, and for the next three hours, he talked about you know the emotional stuff. Mm. Now, when you so when I did this interview, I you know it starts with you know Miguel getting to him, and I talk, and, and then you you ask this question where he then bangs the thing and he starts screaming. And then you calm him down, so now you're going this way, and then he gets angry again. Then he wants to kick you out, and then you know Donna her says, "I'll be," and then he goes, "I'll be goddamn." Fun. 
I'll be your chauffeur kind of thing. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, he's confessing like that. So to me, it's a, it's one of those things you could do and you can teach, which is what I did. So I put it in the interview like, book like that, and then I put little great, you know, along the uh, margins, I'm telling you what happened during the thing and what I did. So that to me is a real lesson in interviewing. It's a long way of telling, That's going to this, but it's a long, you know, and that, by the way, I was on the radio for that. Every day, all the, all the sports radio around the country were reading from this interview. They were, in, they were play acting, me and him. Me and yeah. I got calls and everybody wanted me to play the actual tape because I have when he exploded, but I wouldn't do that tonight. I didn't think I should, so I said no. But I did say to Playboy, you got to pay me some money for just talking this much because I'm doing a lot of publicity for you and I, it's taken up my day. It took about two weeks, two weeks of talking on the radio to St. Louis and Florida and whatever uh, and telling these stories about Bob Knight. They love to hear those stories. <laughs> so you asked the question earlier, where does creativity come from? And that's, that story about Bob Knight reminds me that like a lot of the times the famous people in society are the extreme people in society. Well, Bob, yes. Bob Knight being yeah. angry and to go back to our different interview styles. And maybe this is a hint that I might not be good at interviewing, but you, your goal is to get people's guard to drop so that you can figure out where the boundaries of who they are lie. Yeah. I would and, say yes. And, and my, my goal is I feel like everybody has their guard up so often that right. it's rare to just get them to lay their guard down. And then once they're there, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to make you feel safe. So okay. big, big difference between us. Well, I, but listen, um, you'll judge this thing. Have I talked too much? Have I taken more control than you wanted? Have I not answered the questions you've wanted to get asked? Uh, do you feel if you've come away that you understand what being an interviewer is better or less? That's on you because you have to interrupt me and stop me and <laughs> right. move me around. You know, you know. To, How do you to, interrupt somebody? Yeah. Just go for it. You, Let's get you back have to go track. for it sometimes. So, you know, I mean, I got, I, I, I remember once. Um, God bless him, Sam Denoff. He was a, a writer, but he was. I, I produced a show for my daughter when she was at Beverly Hills High School many years ago, and it was called How Hollywood Works. And it was like this, where she got to talk. Well, to, let's get back on track here, Larry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> how would I do right there? Yeah, there you how go. Do, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was I was going somewhere with that, but <laughs> finish. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. I think you know, but no, but that's what this what what Sam Denoff said to my daughter was he after I said, how do you think she did? Because I prepped her. I showed her how to interrupt yeah. she says well yeah she got a teacher not to interrupt me so much he says i he, she kept cutting off my stories and i told her she did a great job because his stories like me <laughs> can go on for too long sure. you know when you kind of edit a piece and you're trying to move things along you, you know it's it's very difficult alex haley told great stories on tv uh, uh, f while i interviewed him for tv but all of his stories were long so when we ended up cutting it to eight minutes you couldn't use those stories. You had to right. use other things, right, not right, right. as good. So, you know, you learn, you know, which form. I ignore the forms. I just talk, and, and I leave it up to, to you to decide whether or not um, what you're getting is what you want. What you're getting from me is basically personality. Right. You know, you get to see that I can talk about anything in a way so that, that I, you know, Which is and I tell stories. And that's, and that's how I do it. You know, I mean, if I'm, if, if I'm t sitting across now from Brad Pitt or if I'm sitting with Leonardo DiCaprio, is, you're going to... Who I remind you of? Look yes, exactly. No, I'm I'm you exactly. <laughs> but you're better looking. You're, you're younger. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, it, it's, it's just, just getting to know you kind of stuff.
and then ask questions. Um, I still haven't, you know, asked you your any so, deep questions at all, but so, I, I feel I could. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a couple thoughts. Um, one being, you mentioned in your book, when you're, when you're interviewing somebody who's known for like one big award, like a Nobel Prize winner, or my wife is an Olympic gold medalist. And I feel like this is a skill of mine, right. is realizing, A, you, you probably have to talk about that thing in an interview for sure, right. but in a, on a personal level. So side note, this is a fun story. My grandfather-in-law is a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. Okay. And then I married an Olympic gold medalist. And okay. so I, I, I get the fact, I, I've got an inside scoop on the fact that they always have to talk about that. And they're comfortable talking about that, but there's so much more to them than that. Yeah. And there's so much value in the things that they don't usually talk about. So the the art of realizing the the fine line of like hey it might be a good place to start or like hey congratulations on on this yeah. and then using well, that to transition into something is you a, know richard Feynman told me that winning the nobel prize was a real pain in the ass for him because he could normally when someone came to interview him or talk to him it was always about the subject that they were dealing with or right. what, uh, but the nobel prize uh, people asked different questions. They were more you know, cautious around him. He, the only time he felt free was w around children because they would, they didn't know what a Nobel Prize was and they could just ask him whatever they wanted and then right, he right, could right. talk to them. So he, he found it um, a bit difficult uh, in, in, in that regard. Um, and it limits. And, and, you know, it's true because, you know, you feel almost like if, if somebody has won some kind of a prize, uh, you might feel that you should be congratulating them for a prize, even if it's 10 years ago or right, 20 years ago. Right. And in fact, that's not really what matters so much anymore. This was a recent happening that illustrates this. We met Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of right. Apple, uh, two days ago. And, <laughs> and get him so, in here? Uh, no, I did ask him a question. Though. I did do a, a really yeah. brief interview with okay. him. We talked for maybe 15 minutes. And I, I closed with this question. I said, Steve, do you think a hot dog is a sandwich? <laughs> and so we didn't we didn't talk about tech at all. We talked right. about dancing with the stars because right. he was on that and whatever. And uh, then I posted that to social media, and everybody was like, "Why would you ask Steve Wozniak that question?" <laughs> and I was like, I was thinking, I asked them like, "What question would you ask Steve? Woz Are you going to ask him about the iPhone? Are you going to ask him about Steve Jobs? Right. Like he talks about this all the time. Like, right. and he when I asked him the hot dog question, he lit up. Right. He told me he talked for five minutes about his favorite spot in, in uh, Berkeley. And like, I got to go there. It's called top dogs. And I do the, and it's like, you know, but did he answer it? He answered the question. Which way? What he said, he said, well, you know, you got meat <laughs> between two slices right. of bread. I think it's a hot dog. <laughs> it's a hot dog. He's, he said, oh, no, he, no, he, he thinks it's, it's a sandwich. sandwich. He thinks it's do a you sandwich. think it's a sandwich? I think it's a hot, I think a hot dog is a, is a class in and of its own. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. I couldn't put it as a sandwich. So, it's not cl overly close. <laughs> right. Anyway. Um, but it, it is interesting to, to realize like beyond the obvious questions, Asking dumb ones and and, and yeah, your, ask a your, dumb question. Don't be afraid to ask a dumb question. Is one of the things I put in my book because it's it. You don't know what's a dumb question, right? You know, sometimes you want to ask a question that you know the answer to. Most I know the answer to eighty percent of the questions I'm asking the person. Right. I'll know those answers. I'll, I'll have read about them. I'll have a feeling about them or whatever. So it'd be surprising to me to hear it, it go a different way. Right. But if it does, I hope I'm smart enough to go with it. 
rather you know rather than just stay with wherever we were if i hear something i don't know about it's not, i like to just go that way and then you know i'll circle back somehow i'll remember maybe yeah. a, a day later but i'll get back there but um i like what you just yeah. did with the hot dog question by the way yeah um, to, uh, we'll we'll kind of close with two two things one i'm curious you mentioned when you walked into pacino's house you said you felt like you knew this guy there's this big trend going on about Enneagram tests and personality tests and, you know, um, astrology has been a thing forever. Yeah. Did you ever, as an interviewer, classify somebody in like, are you familiar with the Enneagram where it's like one, I, I, there's nine different personality no, types? I, I, you know how I did it? Uh, jo, uh, John Euston's son, Tony, told me one time when we were talking about his father, because he had a real hot, conflicting kind of relationship with his dad. Uh, he said, you know... The Chinese horoscopes got my dad right down, down perfectly, right down. So I just picked up on that, and I went and got a book on the Chinese horoscope, and I looked up, you know, John's signs and whatever, yeah. and sure enough, it was it did remind, you know, but it was it was interesting to to me because I could think about that as the character I'm writing about too, you know. I mean, it's like wow, it's like it's. But you didn't do that beyond. Beyond that one. No, piece. I never have done yeah. with anybody else. I've done no, I haven't really. I mean. You know, I would guess that Streisand's birthday would make her a bull, a Taurus, or something. You know, yeah. I mean, certain people. You know, but um, uh, I did a story once uh, with an astrologer. It was pretty interesting, <laughs> but uh, for Newsday, and uh, I walked in to see him, totally skeptical, and he said, "Your mother's back has a has a problem." And my mother's what? back did have a problem, and she was seeing a guy that day or something. And I didn't know who this guy was when I when I was going to see him, right? So there's no way he knows that much about me or anything about me. Right. This was years ago, so I thought, well, that's interesting. Then I keep thinking, was it a guess? You know, that he just did, did most mothers' backs hurt them? You know, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I took him more seriously from that moment, you know. And I think I think you should always take people seriously. I guess. Yeah. I, mean, I met I met Hubert Fauntleroy Julian who wrote the book, The Black Eagle. He was, during Haile Selassie's time and during the World War II, he was a member of the first uh, Air Force Brigade or whatever a group uh, of blacks, America, African-Americans. And he was sent over to help Haile Selassie uh, raise an Air Force. He had six planes and he was in charge. And he wrote a book about this, you know, but anyway. Um, and he was going to assassinate Selassie, he said, you know, or Mussolini. He was getting in to see Mussolini for some reason, and he was working on this. And it was like uh, this whole story. Esquire asked me to, you know, do an interview, a uh, story about him, profile. So as I'm talking to him, and he's, he's about in his 70s when I saw him, and his hair was very fluffy or what have you, and his skin was very smooth. And he said to me, Mr. Grobel, and I was 20 years old, 22, Mr. Grobel, he says, uh, do you have any idea why I can do the things I've done? He says, feel my skin. Feel my hair. Is this the skin of a 70? He says, uh, he says, every five years, I go to Krypton. <laughs> I, 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 I am taken to Krypton where they uh, change my blood. And he's telling me this. like he's, And I realize he thinks he's Superman. This guy wow. thinks he's Superman. And he's not telling me, like, putting me on. 
He's telling me, like, this is what he does, and this is why he is the way he is. So I said, well, so I wrote the story, like, well, it's about Superman, you know, because <laughs> the guy did all these things, but then, like, he's completely off the, he's not. <laughs> That's interesting. But, yeah. So, I guess, the personality test. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you read them? You do that? I, I, I don't. I'm in a friend group that takes a lot of stock in the Enneagram, and to me, it, it feels like you're just putting somebody in a box, which might not be fair. Just like you said, like maybe right. maybe somebody thinks they're Superman. <laughs> like, okay, but no, no, but 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 why do you say that if I'm not aware of the box that that's being put into? I think if you see that, if you read what these person's traits are, like in the Chinese horoscope, and I say, okay, this is all what it is, and I say, okay, that that is you, and then I'm going to keep you in that box, right? But I don't do that except I did it that once with John, but by that time I was far into the book, you know, so it's, so I'm not sure what you meant. What well, you just said. I, I, I prefer to like, just try to unearth somebody's personality. Yeah. Step by step. Just like, um, you know, uh, Michelangelo carving out David, like we're going to, we're going to figure out like, where. well, where then you're going see. for the best. You're going for the deepest. So you're contradicting sure. yourself completely I from know, the beginning. This is not good. No, this is this is tough. So what the the world that we operate in is social media, and and the whole game of social media is you have to put out a lot of content that keeps people attention often. Right. And so, so why didn't you ask me more questions about movie stars or whatever it would be that when people might want to see? Whoever your audience is, you know, there's there's I could talk about writers or stars or whatever. I have mentioned them, but you you know, I've I've just. Rambled well, you told, on my you stories. You told plenty of stories. Yeah. I, I think you told yeah. fantastic stories. Well, that's what I hope you like. But, I mean, <laughs> I hope it works. <laughs> and, and I feel like you gave insight into um, how to interview people well. And so, again, the reason I wanted to have you on is because, A, um, I feel like there's value in sitting down with a mentor, mm. which you would be to me if, if I'm taking interviewing seriously right. and, and seeking out that knowledge. And then I also wanted to get this evaluation from you of like, hey, Andrew, but, but, this is what I would work on. Okay, but you didn't ask me interviewing <laughs> questions, right? So, I mean, I sort of threw that out. I got I, I got lost in the stories. Yeah. Well, you know, um, when I, I, I did a podcast with Mark Marin and that WTF thing he does and yeah. whatever, and it was an hour and 40 minutes or so. Anyway, he asked me back. We did, we, we, but the thing is, he kept asking me one question over and over again because he says he says you well he says you must hate me so why would I hate you he says because I you know the podcast has sort of taken over what you do and uh, and but what we do is we don't prepare that much you know we just sit and talk to people you know and you do all this research for weeks and weeks and you read hundreds of books I I don't do any of that he says and I've got a big audience and you no longer have much of an audience I said, I don't hate you for that I said that's good for you you know I mean you figure out a way to keep this thing going in a way um so but then he kept saying with all the all the people that you've done you've ever interviewed everybody but what have you learned what have you learned from these people and i got hesitant to answer it right and then but he kept coming back to it i don't know i said what if you learn is it you know like basically is your life worth anything did you learn anything and the reason i the reason i didn't answer it or, or much is because i was writing a book about it. I was writing a book of, you know, the things I learned because I had done this lecture for this college, uh, for college students. It was at, at, 
on on the Roosevelt Hotel, I think it is, or whatever, one of those hotels. It was like five or six hundred people, you know, editors from all over. And they asked me to do the keynote address. And I said, what do you want me to talk about? And they said, well, what'd you learn as, as an interviewer? And all right, so that's how I started doing that. And I came up with stories about Truman Capote or Brando or Streisand, whoever it would be, that I thought might be instructive and I could put it into a lecture that's 50 minutes long or whatever. So I did, and I have a, I, I showed a video of my interview with Truman Capote, a thing where, where he says something that's very funny, and I know it gets a laugh, and it everybody gets relaxed after that. Right. So, um, so I... I did the lecture again at Rancho La Puerta where I do lectures. I do workshops there once. Uh, it's a health spa in Tecate, Mexico. It's a great, great place. And um, I go there every every year, twice a year, to do these different workshops or lectures. And this one I particular I did about what I learned. And the guy comes up to me. He's a psychiatrist. And he says, you've got a book here. This is a great book. I said, yeah, you think so? I said, I, you know, because it was 20 I talked about. So it was, anyway... After I went back and I looked at everybody interviewed, and what was the first thing that came to mind when I came across Willie Shoemaker, you know, the jockey, or came across Elmore Leonard, okay? Whatever the name was, I wrote down something that I had experienced with Pavarotti or with Betty Friedan or what have you. So, um, and then I turned it into a lesson. You know, I came up with a line, so, and I, so I, I came up, did this book. And that's what you talking to me is, is, is basically the lessons I learned from 120 people, every one of... 110 of them you will have heard of, you know, and a few others are my wife or, yeah. or you know, J.P. Dunleavy you may not have known, but, you know, a, you will know him after you read about me, about him from, from my stuff. So um, I, I, I find that interviewing is very enriching on both ways because the art of the interview, the book, is all about how to do it. How do you interview people? How do you get people to loosen up? How do you edit something? How do you, you know, work on, uh, how do you do research? How do you have the confidence? Where do you find that stuff? And then the other book, the You Talking to Me book, is what did I get out of Lauren Bacall, you know, or, right. or somebody like that, or Catherine Hepburn. What, you know, what did they teach me? Or you know, and I was surprised to find that I was able to get so many lessons, um, and you know. So, so I'm curious. This was uh, going to be my closing question. Okay. <clears throat> having interviewed such a wide range of people, having seen the extremes of what humanity can be, and a lot of times these people at the peak of society and like some are off the rocker, some are really well grounded. How has it made you feel about humanity <laughs> in general? Are you, do you feel like if you rewind the clock to when you first started this, you are currently now more optimistic about, about <laughs> people? You, humanity? No, I'm, I, I, I'm not optimistic about uh, our situation today. I mean, I asked John Huston that question, and he was upset with Ronald Reagan, you know, and this was on camera. And I said, do you, do you see any help in the future? And he says, there has to be. There always has to be hope, he says. You know, every time that something gets really bad and it looks like, you know, gloom is about to occur and, and darkness is going to descend, he says, there's a white knight that will come on his, on his shiny horse and he will save us. He says, that's the only way we can continue. And then I thought, well, okay, you know, I think that might have happened with Obama in the sense of hope in the beginning. I mean, people may have not 
you know, care for him at the end. But I, I, I liked Obama, by the way. But, um, but then we see, you know, what's happened today, and we're in the throes of a madman, and and we're dealing with a, you know, a Senate that is also crazy and and scared, and everybody is scared about things, and the market goes up and down. If this guy, you know, tweets something, it's just it's really stupid, you know. Um, but I do think there's there's got to be hope. I got I got grandchildren, you know. I got I, I I it matters more to me what happens to them than anything else, and I want them to have a future. So how do you do it? We've already have climate change. That's a given. So it's not like oh, we're going to stop it, but we can maybe do stuff to help it. You know, so keep it from destroying us. But you need to have belief. Now I'm getting political. So so the, what do I think about the people I've interviewed? I like the politicians I've interviewed, a few of them. Jesse Ventura, I had a great time with him. He came to my house afterwards, even though he, he lost 30% of his popularity from my interview. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it wasn't my fault. He just things he said, you know, it's just things I printed. But, um, uh, you know, I found the most genuine of people, Dolly Parton was one that came, came to mind. You know, it's like, she took my breath away when I met her because she was like a cartoon character, you know, and she's got the high heels and the high hair and whatever. But she makes you feel good, you know, and she's interested. Um, I found Brando as, as, as maybe distant as he was about certain things. He was really an intelligent man who liked to talk. He had, and he was curious. He was a man who was curious about things. So I've written a screenplay about my time with him. You know that interview with Brando uh, is worthy of a movie, uh, and I wrote one. You know, we'll see what happens with it. I have it's been optioned. I don't know what'll happen with it, but but it's like um, you know, there's certain things in your life that have been enriching. So I'm I love meeting people. I love getting to know people. The the deeper you get to know them, if you can turn a person into a friend. How many friends do you meet as you get older? Very right. few. I just, you know, I got, I'm, I met a guy on a golf course because I, I was golfing by myself. He was golfing by himself. Now we've, we've become friends. We golf now. You know, it's just I like to see him. We like to have him. And, you know, you're learning something. But it's very rare. It's very rare that you meet somebody uh, that you want to spend time with, give up time with other things you're doing to do. That's why I very rarely do lunch. I'm always at being asked, hey, you want to have lunch? No. <laughs> it breaks up my whole day, you know? I mean, it's like yeah. crazy. I'll, I'll go to a movie with you in the evening or we'll have dinner and whatever, but, you know, but it just, just depends on that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not that pessimistic about man, about the people I've interviewed and the people, you know, they all have... They all have talent, you know. They all can do something. I wasn't impressed that Freddie Prince Jr. had no books on his shelves. They were empty or they had tchotchkes on them. And I said to him, where are your books? We were in his bedroom. We went up to, we were here, and then we continued the interview up there, and there's bookshelves there. No books. And, and, he, and he's just as well, I don't read books. I said, well, what do you read? He said, I read comics. Oh, he didn't even know that you could collect books. I have a first edition. He didn't know you could collect them. Now, I was astounded by that, right? But he's an actor who girls scream over and they love him and whatever, you know, and then they, I don't know about now, but when I was talking to him. 
So um, I wanted to take, get him to his, to his comfort zone. So I, I wasn't trying to hurt him, by, but I, I print the fact that he doesn't read books because I don't think he cares about that. Right. He, you know, he, he talks about and and the comics. And then we got I got into comics with him, and then he, and we got into uh, Stan Lee, and then and then from that story, then we got into something else where he ended up beating up a kid when he was twelve years old, and and he they were teasing him because they always thought he was different, and he ended up hitting this kid. Its face until it got to mush, and he says, and I just couldn't stop. It goes, and I, I, uh, that's a two and a half page story that I printed to get to that point, to get to a point where a kid. This is a kid who, you know, he lost his father when he was twenty, you know, was a baby, and 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 he grew up, and he and and he got to this point of, you know, and he didn't know who he was, and this happened, and 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 I think you see him in a completely different way, you know. So, so you are optimistic about it. I, I guess I am. You know, I've got to be. You know, I get yeah. these. Cook- I, I mean, I could talk to you about. You know, my my daughter uh, had an infertility problem. So for four years, you know, she took her to get a baby, and she got it finally from a, a fertility clinic. You know, and it was amazing. It's an amazing story. Right. Um, and we could go into that because you know, but they made they filmed it. They made a movie. And it's on Netflix. It's called One More Shot. But it's like incredible. Mm. This you know the, this journey. And my other daughter has had had problems with an illness with her son. They're both four years old now. So a lot of my time and a lot of my energy has been devoted to these kids. Yeah. And how I've done it, I mean, creatively, is I've, I've been writing short stories. So I wrote a book of short stories called The Narcissist, but you know, but a few of them uh, they deal with my fears of what's going, you know, what happens, you know, uh, what happens if a kid gets taken, what happens if a kid gets ill, what, you know, all these right. things are, you know, in my mind. So I'm playing with them a lot, um, and I feel very fortunate that I've been able to do these things and write these books, and so uh, you know. Yeah, I'm, I just met you, and I like you. You have a great smile, and uh, maybe we'll do this again, and you'll ha- we'll go deeper into something, yeah. and maybe it'll just not work out. Maybe this interview is like, you know, not going to be even what you think it is, and you won't use it. You don't know. You got to look at the in the editing room and see what you got. <laughs> so this is what I've learned from you, Mister yeah. Grobel. One, uh, life is about stories, <laughs> yeah, and it's often more complex than the the first glance. Okay. Two, I feel like honesty is probably one of your highest values and, and that shows in your writing, it shows in your works and the, in the interviews you've done. Um, follow up, I feel like, is something I've learned from you. You know, we, we've been in discussions for months to try to sit down and you followed up with me, but then also learning about your pers- persistence and perseverance <laughs> and, and getting these people. Um, and then also not being afraid to ask and that goes for asking for an interview that goes for asking the hard questions. Um, and I just, I, I think you, obviously you don't need me to tell you this, but you have a fantastic skill and, um, I think the world is, is better off for it. So I'm going to, I want, I want to close with this. I need you to rate my interviewing right. capabilities okay. in one so, number. So if we, what I took in one to 10 or one to five. Would you like one to ten? <laughs> one to ten is okay. You can't use seven. All right, can't use seven. I can't use seven. That's the default always. Oh, okay. <laughs> so seven and a half doesn't work. <laughs> no, it's got a full. All integer. right. Well, no, I think you're better than a six and, uh, <laughs> okay. and close to seven. So I'll give you an eight. <laughs> Deal. Eight is good. No, I'll I mean it's, it's 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 your own. You you had your own little epiphany here, and if you realize it, then. 
then this has been good for you. And thus, it's been good for both of us since I've had a good time and I'd give you a nine, a nine and a half. But the epiphany <laughs> has got to be <clears throat> the fact that where you contradict yourself. The fact that you, right. you, you, you see interviewing, you want to make people comfortable and you want to keep it at a certain place and everybody's happy with it. And then later you said, well, I try to be like Michelangelo's David. I'm, I'm going to sculpture away, way, way. Well, that's <laughs> two completely different things to do. And I like right. the second more than the first because I think that's where to go with things. Um, but it's now given you something to think about a little bit more. And the more you, the, the deeper you could go. I mean, what questions didn't you ask me that I opened up to? I, 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 I threw out so many different things. If I wanted to right. write them all down, I'd say, okay, you never really followed up on Capote or Feynman or, or the Nobel Prize things. You sure. didn't talk about prizes, though. Uh, so, so, you know, there's, a, there's so many directions you could have gone. But 100%. had you gone there, we wouldn't have gone where we went. So that's the bottom line is you will judge this interview by what you see. And if you, as you watch it, you go, oh, I should have asked him that, or I should have stopped him here. Well, that was a good place to interrupt, to go a different way. It's fine to interrupt, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not uh, Sam Denoff who's going to yell at you, yeah, you should have done that. Right. And you know who also got mad with me? Uh, Sid Caesar. Sid Caesar was great, you know, as an early comedian, but he had a huge temper. One time I, I asked him. Well, I want to cut you off. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So because even even, <laughs> even now I can't stop. I, I, <laughs> I just thought of a well, funny story. And this is <laughs> tell the story. Tell the story. Well, okay. this is, this is, Sid Caesar says to me. He says to me. Um, I he, he he played the professor. It was a character, and so he had a no, Carl Reiner would ask him questions. Yeah. So so uh, no, that was Mel Brooks. So saw the guy with us. Anyway, so I said. Could, could, could you be the professor as we have? I said, and I'll ask you some questions. And he looked at me and says, what do you think? I'm your monkey? You think I'm an, you're an organ grinder? I'm your monkey? He says, I'm not going to perform for you. I get paid to do that. It's what I do. I'm and he got so mad at me. And we're on camera. I was surprised. I didn't expect right. that. And then I said, you know, you're right. I, I was asking you to do something, your profession. See, a lot of people ask me to write something for them, but they don't want to pay me. But that's what I am. I write. That's what I make my living right. on. So I, I say no. I said, you know, I don't, you know, I, I said, you can't afford me, basically. You know, I mean, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just like, <laughs> but right. they don't, and they'll say, oh, I didn't know I had to pay you in the first place. I mean, it was like, you know, it's it's just a strange thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, anyway, I enjoyed our talk. And as far as rating, it goes, no, I think you've, you, you, definitely I feel comfortable with you. That's that's getting over a huge hump. Your your eye contact has stayed with me. That was great, and uh, your your smile never left. Um, I didn't see you know in your eyes where you wanted to go. Like mm, you know, I, I, you know, it's like that. There wasn't a ring there or a sparkle that says I should take him that way. You know, oh, what I mean, and, and that may be just because nothing happened there and you know that i didn't hit that bone that that would you would relate to um and that could be with the nature of athletics it could be the nature of you know what you did you said you spent five years before you got out there i'm you're curious about going there well, and are you going to continue playing or are you giving this up you know i mean i don't know what's what your story is but well, i thought it'd be interesting maybe a part two but yeah. this is to your credit yeah. even in inter interviewing you i feel like i've I've found out something about myself in the sense that I you uh, learn. That's, that's right. You talking to me what I learned. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I've learned one that I have this life philosophy that isn't challenging by nature. Mm. And that shows itself in my reluctance 
to stop you when you're telling a story right. that might not be, I have this whole list of questions that we, that we didn't get to, <laughs> right? but I feel right. like that's almost revealing in the sense right. of like, Hey, I have work to do as an interview, but also as an interviewer, but also, um, it kind of reveals something about me, who I am. Right. And the fact that I didn't have a sparkle in my eye, mm-hmm. I feel like that, I feel like one of my advantages in conversation, maybe in interviewing is like, I am, I am really curious about mm. everything right and so whatever story you're telling i'm going to be completely into right. it right like the bob not, i didn't want that story to stop <laughs> even though that's not the story i wanted you to tell it was right. like i want to hear this yeah. but it doesn't ultimately achieve my goal of where i want this conversation well you know about, so right? but here's so the like, thing here's for that goal if you, and and in the end if if the goal is was more important than the result then I, what i suggest is the actual writing down of questions so, I, ha- I know, had them. Yeah, but but you know, I mean, and especially now with the, with these iPods, iPads, you have a big screen yeah. in front of you. If you if you put your foot up like this, balance it this way, so I don't see it. You know what I mean? So you, I'm just seeing the back of it. You know, then you, you have this to glance at if you wanted to go there, but, because that's what I always did. Right. I mean, I always felt. Uh, it depends on the time. Like if I have unlimited time, and I know it, if I if I know I'm going to see Al the next day, the next day, the next day, then we're just going to sit around and bullshit all the time, and then something unbelievable is going to come out of that because sure. you're going to get a much more intimate conversation. But um, for the most part, when you only have an hour or right. half hour or 15 minutes, you bet if you have an agenda other right. than I just want to present this guy, whoever he is, you know, what I mean, which is fine. Excuse me. Once I start talking, that's who I am. You know what I mean? So you, you say, hey, I got that guy in 15 minutes. I, I got it. Yeah. But but if there was information that was you were looking for that you didn't get, um, then that's the stuff you have to think about. about I yeah, got to put a priority of the top three things starred, you know, and make sure that those are covered somewhere along that conversation. So did 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 do you know? Is there anything that we haven't talked about, but you're curious about as far as an interviewer goes? Well, Here's I, your chance. I think we, I think we might need to do a, a part two, honestly. Okay. Um, but I, I do feel like this was successful in the sense yeah. that the audience probably learned something about me, Andrew, yeah. and I feel like we heard so many stories. Well, they should learn about you too so. because they're watching this. Don't forget, they're not watching it always just to talk, to see your guest. They're seeing a dynamic. And and uh, I assume you're on camera as well. Yeah. So so they're seeing that. Then you become that character. Barbara Walters was more famous than anybody she interviewed. Yeah. I mean, Henry Kissinger, the you know the Pope, whoever it was. Barbara. People watch because Barbara Walters did it. Right. I, sometimes she drove me nuts because I I, I look at it from the question point of view and I say, why are you asking that right. or why are you going so soft or oh please don't ask him to dance you know whatever it be. Right. Um, but but. Uh, that's my point of view. You know, right. it's not necessarily my wife's point of view when she watches it. Well, I appreciate the time. Uh, Mr. Grobel. And if you want to learn more about yeah. him and his 29 books, you can go to <laughs> lawrencegrobel.com, G-R-O-B-E-L.com, and uh, find out more. But I, this, was, this was really fun and insightful, so I appreciate it. Hey, it was fun for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought your wife was coming in. You said she's going to be coming in. Well, she never even did. We're going to have to do a part two, babe. <laughs> this, is, this is Sean here. <laughs>